Please turn with me in your Bible to Judges chapter 14, Samson part 2. Judges 14, Samson part 2 this evening. Would you stand with me and let's pray together and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we come before you and we ask right now in Jesus' name that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray that this wouldn't be just another Bible study or academic uh, time, Father, but you would pierce our hearts. Lord, we see so many people in scripture and in history and present times, Lord, where they're, they're great men, they're great women, but they fall greatly. And so may we learn these lessons from Samson's life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Marriage gone bad. Marriage gone bad. Dennis Rodman and Cameron Electra were married for nine days. Nine days. Dennis Rodman said he was out of his mind when he got married, okay? Dennis Hopper and Michelle Phillips, well, they were married for eight days. The reason they got divorced is because Dennis Hopper was so stoned when he woke up, he didn't even recognize his bride. That's a pretty short marriage. But who gets the award from celebrities for the shortest marriage? Britney Spears. She was married to Jason Alexander, her lifelong friend growing up. They were married for 55 hours, just over two days. They were married. She said that she got married just because she wanted something to do. She wanted to do something crazy, so they went to Vegas and got married. But I think Samson may even have them beat If you read Judges 14, his marriage goes bad before he even gets out of the honeymoon, before he even gets out of the wedding ceremony. For me, (laughs) Samson's marriage is much like the Super Bowl last year. (laughs) I mean, it was just bad from the start, wasn't it? It was so painful. Hopefully tomorrow is a little bit better for the Broncos, amen? As we get into Samson's life in a little bit greater detail tonight, we saw last week, actually two weeks ago, great potential. The Holy Spirit was upon him, even in conception. God predicted this great call upon Samson's life. But we'll see very quickly in chapter 14 that he walks away from that. And a real theme about Samson's life is a very strong man with an incredibly weak will. A very strong man with an incredibly weak will. And we see it throughout the Bible, these powerful men and women that God used, many times they fall greatly. We see it throughout our nation's history with great political leaders, they they fall greatly many times. We see it with great spiritual leaders. We continue to see it with great rapidity. We see these pastors that are used powerfully by God. They're they're great men, but yet they have an incredibly weak will. I believe that this study tonight could save our lives spiritually. If you're asleep tonight, you know, if you're in some other land, this is a good time to engage because we'll find the attitudes that will absolutely wreck us. And Samson's just like us. We look at Samson and it's easy to kind of put him in another category. But I think in the ways that Samson faltered, it's easy for us to falter as well. So if you're taking notes tonight, we're going to look at five attitudes, five actions that we find in Samson 
that hopefully we can avoid in our own lives. It's a heart issue that's, that's inside of us. But if this happens so much in scripture and it happens so much in life, we have to understand that it can happen to us as well. Let me introduce tonight with this verse out of Ezekiel because God's looking for a man. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Maybe the saddest verse in the Bible out of Ezekiel. God is looking for a man. And men, I hope that this message is directed somewhat towards us as well. Women, you can benefit for it. But we find the way that Samson falters that men continue to falter. It almost seems that these are traps that are set for men that Samson walked into. And if we're not careful, the majority of men will fall into as well. But God's looking for people. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman that will stand in the gap, that will build that wall. Would he find any that would answer his call? So we begin in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Point number one in his actions is a dangerous first step. Write it down. Think about it. Pray about it. Dangerous first step. You're saying, I don't see it. Samson went down to Timnah. Four miles away, approximately from his home, this is a Philistine city, this is the enemy territory, and he sees a woman there. God told the children of Israel, I don't want you to marry from these lands because they serve false gods. It's a compromise. It was directly against scripture. Samson had no business hanging out in Timnah. And if we're to stay out of trouble, if we're to stay out of sin... Many times it's the first step. This is where Samson falters. And think about it in our own lives. Maybe it's 11 at night. Maybe it's 1 at night. You can't sleep, so you get out of bed. You wander down to the internet. You start off at ESPN. And before you know it, you find yourself in an inappropriate site. Much like Samson being led away by lust, it was a dangerous first step. Men, you know the temptation. You've been there before. It's late at night. Your wife's asleep. You're not married. You're single. It gets exponentially worse late at night. It started with a little advertisement. It was a dangerous first step, wasn't it? Maybe it's, you know, Christians just don't seem to have fun. They don't know how to have a good time. I've worked hard all week, and I've been working hard for a long time. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to just go out with my old friends. I'm going to go out with those friends that don't believe in Christ. We're going to hang out downtown. We're going to go to the bar. We're just going to have a great time. I suggest to you that that could possibly be a dangerous first step. And you're saying, well, what's wrong with drinking? What's wrong with hanging out downtown? I don't know how many good, godly, edifying things happen on Tejon Street after midnight on Friday night. Let's all be honest, okay? It's dangerous. You might be able to navigate it for a while, but I've seen a lot of people that I care about over the years, brothers and sisters in Christ that I really care about, and over time, it gets the best of them. It was a dangerous first step. And you say, well, I've got to impact unbelievers. Absolutely. 
but examine that situation and go, who is impacting who? So we have to look at Samson's actions and take note first that he took a dangerous first step. And then he sees this woman in Timnah of the Philistines, verse 2. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the Philistines, of the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. (laughs) Where did he falter? Where it's the second misstep? Because he's driven by sight. He's driven by sight. Is this the way to develop a long-lasting, loving commitment that we call marriage? Is this the way to have a 40-year marriage, a 50-year year marriage? I don't know if you've noticed, but with time, none of us look more attractive. It's just the reality of it. So if you're only getting married based on, man, he's a huge hunk, he won't be in 10 years, you know? You better be marrying for inward beauty because this body is headed towards the glorified body. Amen? But all Samson does is he sees outward beauty. He doesn't stop to think of what God has said. He doesn't think about what are the key components to make up a a key relationship. And this is where a lot of men get ensnared. This is where a lot of men get trapped in its lust. It's been driven by sight. In 1 John, it tells us the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's something very real to this. Men, we have to be careful with our eyes. Job said that he made a covenant with his eyes to not look upon a young woman. Our eyes are going to be drawn to a beautiful woman, but what do you do from that point? Do you take the second look? Do you take the third look? Do you allow your mind to go into a lustful place? Allow the Proverbs to put this into perspective. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Hell is never full, destruction is never full, nor are the eyes ever satisfied. If it's the eyes that drive us, if it's the eyes that cause us to make decisions, the eye's never going to be satisfied. It's just going to go from one woman to the next, and you're never going to fully enjoy what God has intended inside of a marriage. What eyes are supposed to drive us? Now, that's an interesting question, and you're saying, well, I don't understand. It's the eye of faith, isn't it? We're not supposed to be walking by our physical eyesight like Samson. We're to be walking according to our spiritual eyesight, which is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. We don't Walk by sight, we walk by faith. And Samson's not walking by faith at this point. Men or women, just examine how many times do you find yourself going down this road of Samson, being led away by lust, driven by the eyes. Maybe in the sexual arena, and maybe in the covetous arena, longing for something that you see that doesn't belong to you. It's amazing when you look at men and women, how committed we can be to things. You know, men can be committed to their work, and they can work so hard and excel in their careers, but then they can't be committed to their wife. And we can be committed to our hobbies, and we can be the expert and spend seven hours reading an article on the new snowboard that's coming out for the new snowboard season, or the new fishing pole that is going to catch all of those fish, you know. 
And we, we're, we're the expert at it, but yet we can be so easily drawn away from, from our wives. I think that Samson's not a doofus. He's not an idiot. He's not someone who's, who's stupid. Think about how he grew up with this Nazarite vow. Every time he looked at his hair, he knows that he's to be set apart for God. Remember what that Nazarite vow was to be? He wasn't to drink anything from the fruit of the vine, no alcohol, not even to eat grapes, not to touch anything that was dead, never to cut his hair. He stood out on the playground. Samson, it's time for a haircut. Dreads are not in, buddy. You need to cut those things off. I mean, what was the style of his hair? As long as it wasn't a mullet, I think he was okay. (laughs) Guys, if he had a mullet, it was never cool. I don't care what you think. 1982 has come and gone. You know what I'm saying? He was set apart from God. We, we read in chapter 13, the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. This isn't a guy that doesn't have a spiritual education. This isn't a guy that doesn't have a spiritual background, that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. This is a man who got distracted and allowed his lust to get the best of him. And he won't be the last man as well. We need to be careful that we're not driven by sight. Verse 3, then his parents and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? And Samson said to his father, get her for me for she pleases me well. Point number three is this, disdain for authority. Disdain for authority. Hear mom and dad go, oh, Samson, Samson. Why are you going to the Philistines? Why are you going to Timnah? Isn't there a gal from Israel that loves the one true living God? Haven't you studied our spiritual history, what's taken place in these years where we continue to wander in idolatry? This isn't going to work out well for you, Samson. This isn't going to be a a good marriage. And what does Samson do? He gives no thought, no heed to what his parents say. And then he just goes, oh, she looks good. She's attractive. Get her for me. I I want her. Go go and get her for me. Now, if you're considering getting married and your parents sit you down in love and they've got some good reasons, you know, not trivial reasons, but real reasons where they say, you know what? I've noticed that this person that you're interested in, that you're considering getting married to, doesn't have a heart for God. We don't see that in their character. In fact, they don't know the Lord and they don't love the Lord. You should be really careful and I I can't give my blessing for this marriage. You'd be wise to not just blow through that. If you've got close friends that are putting up some warning lights, they're giving you the yellow light and saying, I know that you think this is the best thing since sliced bread, but this doesn't look good. And it's more than just, well, a bad feeling, but they've got real biblical reasons. Stop and look. To me, we're seeing real things in Samson's character that cause a strong man to have an incredibly weak will. He's hanging out in places he shouldn't be. He's a a he-man with a she-weakness. You know what I'm saying? His problem is women all over and over and over again. He's being driven 
by his sight instead of being driven by faith. And then he won't listen to anyone. Men, if you're the kind of person that you won't listen to anyone, look out, you are headed for trouble. You might be a strong man, you might be an effective man, you might accomplish a lot of things, but ultimately it's going to lead to destruction every time. We have a hard time as men submitting ourselves to authority. A lot of times when I was youth pastoring, I, I would tell students, you know, learn how to obey your parents because authority is going to be a part of your life until you go home to be with the Lord. A lot of times we think as soon as we get out of the roof of our parents' house and we can just do whatever we want, but you're going to have a boss. You're going to have police officers. There, there's authority that's God-given that's set up. And can you be a, a man who submits under authority? May I suggest to you to consider Jesus, the ultimate man, the greater than Samson. He was a man that lived under authority. He submitted himself to the Father. He had humility. And God raised him up. So if you have a hard time when the boss sits down with you and says, I want you to do it this way. And it's not a biblical issue. It's not a moral issue. It's not an ethical issue. It's just a different way of doing it. And maybe your way is even better but you've got to suck up your pride a little bit. Your boss isn't going to listen. He's saying, in this instance, I want you to do it this way. If you've got good, godly friends that say, you know what? You're headed in a dangerous direction and you can't listen to them. Guess what? You're headed for a train wreck. This is where it begins to get exponentially bad for Samson because he can't listen to his parents. And his parents are godly men and women who are trying to instruct him in the same way. I want you to hold on to point number three because we're going to come back to it. Because as we go on into the chapter, we're going to see that Samson disdains authority again. So verse four, but his father and mother didn't know that it was the Lord. Did you catch that? They didn't know that it was the Lord. What do you mean? Go on to read verse four. That was, he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Wait a second. Samson's being disobedient, and it's of the Lord? Let's explain this. God's not encouraging or condoning Samson's disobedience. God would much rather use Samson's obedience, true? But he's also going to use Samson's disobedience. God's will and his kingdom is going to take place. He wants to move against the Philistines, and he's going to do it through Samson, whether it's through his obedience or through his disobedience. And that's humbling. God used Pharaoh's disobedience. He used his hard heart for his glory, but God much more so desires to use our obedience. He desires for us to walk in his will. There's something that's far greater than being used by God. The ultimate is not being used by God. The ultimate is being right with God and being in obedience to him, walking in his favor. Jeremiah, you may argue, was not used as much as Samson, but I would much rather have Jeremiah's life in relationship with God. See, it's not always, okay, well, God's using me. God's going to work through Samson's disobedience as well. Verse 5 so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Imagine what this would be like. These African 
lions. All of a sudden, here you are in these vineyards. What's he doing in the vineyard anyway? He's not supposed to be eating of the grapes. And here comes this young lion roaring against him. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm hiking here in Colorado, I think, I wonder if there's a mountain lion around. So maybe you're in Cheyenne Mountain and you're hiking or up in Divide, the crags, maybe the backside of of Pikes Peak, and all of a sudden, here's a mountain lion that meets you face to face. Puts it into perspective a little bit. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one who have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, nor did he tell his father or mother what he had done. Here comes the lion, and God's Spirit comes upon Samson. And he's able now to take this young lion and just tear it apart like a little kitty. Just bam, like a, like a young goat. I wonder if this was confusing for Samson, and I think it probably was. Why is God's spirit coming upon me when I'm in rebellion to God? Here I am being driven by lust. Here I am pursuing a Philistine which God has said not to. Here I am starting to walk the line and get close to breaking the Nazarite vow. Here I am disdaining authority and disdaining my parents, but yet the Spirit of God still comes upon him. And that's confusing to us. And so to me, this is point number four. It's this. Please listen carefully. Don't be deceived by blessing. He's deceived by blessing. What am I talking about? God's Spirit comes into our lives. God uses us. God blesses us. You get a promotion at work. You're seeing people come to know Christ. And you think, well, God must be condoning my rebellion. And God's blessing is not necessarily God's approval. And we've seen it now happen in churches where God's blessing a church, no doubt. Thousands are coming to know the Lord. There's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's it's God. But yet you find out for a majority of that time that the pastor was in absolute rebellion to God. And you go, how could that be? How could the pastor be in full-on rebellion to God, but yet God is blessing? Because God cares about people. And he's going to pour out his spirit as he sees fit. And I think a lot of pastors, when they're in that place, they go, well, God must not care about my rebellion. Because I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's blessing. People are coming to Christ. And so God must be okay. And God's not excusing the sin. And his kindness is to lead us to repentance. And I imagine that there's some of you here tonight that you know you're in rebellion to God. You know you're in the same steps as Samson, but you go, things are going so well in my life. It has to be the Lord. God must not be concerned with my, my sin. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. This reminds us once again that there's something deeper than being used by God. Samson right here is used by God. He has the supernatural strength and power of God, but he's not right with the Lord. So don't be deceived by blessing. Sometimes God may choose to bless by his grace and his kindness, even when someone's in rebellion to the Lord, but don't let that confuse you. The hammer will drop. God will give a season of kindness to lead someone to repentance. This is what I've observed. Maybe you've observed it too. When the child of God is in rebellion, usually the Lord will give a season of kindness to try to bring that person back to Christ before the hammer drops. 
because the scriptures tell us that his kindness leads us to repentance. So don't use the kindness of God as a license to sin. See the kindness of God of God trying to woo you back to him. Does that make sense? Are you guys following the line of thinking there? Where, Where here's Samson being used by God And he could easily have thought, well, God's using me, so everything must be okay in my relationship with the Lord. We kind of go back to point three, and we see Samson have disdain for his parents, but now also disdain for God. It's the disdain for authority. In verse seven, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. So it almost seems like they haven't even had much conversation up until verse seven. There's a marriage that's already arranged and it's totally based on lust. That's all it's based on. In verse 8, after some time, doesn't tell us how long, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them And they also ate, but he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Why didn't he tell his parents where he got the honey? Because he touched a dead animal. He broke the Nazarite vow. This Nazarite vow was serious. Mom had to follow it when when she was pregnant. He was to be under this vow his whole entire life, set apart for God. He disdained God's authority for some honey. He broke the Nazarite vow for some warm honey. How foolish. How foolish of him to to give up this great potential that God had given him, this call that God had put on his life. We've got a phrase that's been with Samson for some time, and I think it's true. Samson wasn't stupid, but sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you flat out stupid. And he forgets his spiritual, spiritual heritage. He forgets the call of God on his life. All he cares about is the lust of his eyes and this honey that tastes so good to him. Don't throw away the blessing of God, the calling of God, just for some honey. In verse 10, So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for the young men used to do so. What do you think this feast was? You can look it up in the Hebrew the implication here is they were having a kager. The implication here is he's throwing a big bachelor party. He gets all of his bros together and says, let's drink, let's celebrate, I'm getting married. That's what the implication is in the Hebrew when you, when you look it up. Here he broke the Nazarite vow in a second way, didn't he? First, to not touch a dead carcass. And if I'm Samson, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like this. Well, I wonder what's going to happen when I break the vow. I'm going to touch this dead lion. Oh, nothing happened. Just like nothing happened when I went to go marry this Philistine. Just like nothing happened when I disobeyed my parents and disdained them. Oh, what's going to happen if I throw some back? God called me to this vow, but I'm going to go ahead and, and break it. So we're clear, what is God's stance on alcohol? It's don't be drunk. That's the stance that God gives in Ephesians 5 to all believers and not cause someone else to stumble. So there is freedom in Christ if someone chooses to drink as long as they're not getting drunk. This was a special commitment that God had led Samson into, the Nazarite vow, and now he breaks it. 
I really think that from this point forward, Samson's attitude is God's not going to hold me accountable. And if you know the story of Samson, eventually he breaks the full vow, Delilah cuts his hair, and then the consequence comes and he loses his strength and the spirit of God departs from him. We don't know when God's going to deal the consequences. We don't know when he's going to decide to bring those, but he will. Don't tempt God. Don't get in that place of saying, oh, I'm going to flirt with sin. I'm going to get as close to the line as I possibly can come. So he throws this great feast, this drunken fest, and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So now the party has grown. And Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. So hey, let's have this little contest, this riddle. I'm going to pose it to you. And if you get it right, then you'll each get a, a brand new pair of clothes, 30 linen garments, 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle so that we may hear it. Samson's thinking, hey, I'm getting married. It's time for 30 new players of Levi's. 30 cool new shirts, linen. This is going to be great. So here's his riddle, verse 14. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife. So the way marriages worked at this time is you would get married and then you would have the first seven days of a big wedding party, a big wedding feast. And what would happen then is the bride and the groom at the same location would go and consummate their marriage while the rest of the family is out enjoying themselves. Now, it's okay. You can just think it and say it out loud. Weird. That's just weird. I'm glad they don't do it that way anymore, right? But that's what would, would take place. And so they're going through this, and it's the third day, and they're now husband and wife. And so they're speaking to the wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? These are great guys. These are the kind of guys you want to have at your wedding party, right? They're saying, look, you need to find out what this riddle is. We're going to burn you, and we're going to burn your father. See, when God said to the children of Israel, don't go and marry the Philistines, he did it for good reason. And if you're thinking about marrying an unbeliever, it's going to burn you in the long run. It's going to be a lot more difficult than you realize. And a lot of people think, well, I can lead them to Christ after we're married. It doesn't always work that way. And allow the Lord to work in their hearts before you get married. And Samson's starting to have the consequences of his decision. In verse 16, then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You think I'm fat. If you, if you loved me. <laughs> If you loved me, you po wouldn't have posed this riddle to the sons of my people. Is that in your translation? Is that in there? <laughs> but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now, that's a lame answer right there. He's like, well, I haven't even told my mommy, so why would I tell you? 
and mommy's cooking's better than yours as well. You know, it's like, this is not a very smart thing for him to say to, to his new bride, but he says it anyway. And this causes us to pause and think. If anybody ever comes to you and says, you know, if you really loved me, you'd do this. And then they're asking you to do something that's sinful, that doesn't line up with God's word. They don't love you. They don't love you. And it could be any kind of context. It could be a friend that says, you know, if you really cared about me, you wouldn't tell the truth in this situation. I, I need you to, to lie about this. That, that's not true. That's not a good use of, of love. Maybe you work with a fellow believer, and they're saying, you know what? If you really cared for me, then you just, you just cover this up. A lot of ways that this is used is inside of sexual relations. You, you get a guy, you get a gal that says, oh, if you really loved me, you'd, you'd just have sex with me. But it's not inside the context of marriage. You're not married. Guess what? That person doesn't love you. If they really loved you, if they really cared for you, they'd understand that sex is going to damage the relationship until you're married. So if you ever have anybody try that one on you, don't be so gullible. You know, don't be so, so stupid. Samson's wife doesn't love Samson here. She's just trying to manipulate and get the information that she desires. It gets real interesting here in the next few verses. Now she had wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. Great, great honeymoon that they're having here. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because you pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. So she eventually got it out of Samson. She told the, the riddle to the men that were desiring the answer. Now they come to Samson. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? This is one of the more classic responses in all of scripture. It's very classy. He said, if you would have not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. You guys know what a heifer is? It's a cow. He just called his wife a cow. First he said, look, I, I haven't even told my mom yet, so I can't tell you. Now he goes to the guys and says, you know what? If you wouldn't have messed with my cow, you wouldn't have figured out my riddle. Talk about marriage gone bad. I mean, they're, they're not even a week into this, and he's calling his wife a cow publicly. In verse 19... Notice what takes place. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 men, and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave them changes of clothing to those who had exclaimed the riddle, explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back to his father's house. Why does God's spirit come upon Samson to kill these 30 men? Because God was looking for an opportunity to do a work against the Philistines. God's going to work in the midst of Samson's disobedience, even though he desires much more to use Samson's obedience. It says that the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, and he was able to kill 30 men, took off their clothes, and he was able to fulfill the commitment. No man is able to take on 30 other men. It just doesn't work that way. This is supernatural strength. A man's not able to take on a lion and wrestle a lion and tear a lion apart like a young goat. It was God's power that was coming upon Samson. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In verse 20, so Samson's wife was given his companion who had been his best friend. Now that's crazy. Here they've been married for one week. She's already divorced and remarried to Samson's best man. This is point number five. It's our last point tonight. And it's this, is Samson has dealt the consequences. He's dealt the consequences. What makes a great man weak? Well, first he starts hanging out in locations that he shouldn't. He gets driven by lust. He gets driven by sight. He disdains authority. He's deceived by God's blessing. And then finally the consequences come. And this is just the beginning of the consequences for Samson. That his marriage has gone bad. And as we'll continue to study, we've got two more weeks in the life of Samson. I want to encourage you with something. Is I want you to read ahead and study ahead with me. And really look at the life of Samson. I want you to know everything that the scripture gives us about the life of Samson. And then I want us to apply it to our lives. Because many, many men and many women have gone down the path of Samson. Isn't it true? And for us to stop and go, you know what, Lord? I want to be used by you. I want your spirit to come upon me mightily. I, I know that you have given me a great potential. You saved me. You filled me with your spirit. But I don't want to go the way of Samson. So what attitudes and what actions do I need to take heed of in my life? So here's a few application questions. Am I taking a dangerous first step? Am I taking a dangerous first step? Is there someone that has your attention that shouldn't have your attention? If you're married, that somebody that's not your spouse and you just kind of started to engage in them in a, in a certain way. You know tonight you're hanging out in some places that you shouldn't be and the Spirit's saying, don't go to Timnah. Don't hang out there. Hey, what a great opportunity for you to repent tonight. What if Samson would have repented in Timnah? Wouldn't have that been awesome? Before he went into this sin. And the second is, am I driven by sight? Does sight have you? Does it ring your bell? Are you driven by lust? What takes place when you see somebody that you're physically attracted to? Do you have self-control? Are you able to take your thoughts captive or does it drive you? Thoughts become actions. Action forms our character. It's a spiritual discipline to, to say, no, I'm not going to be driven by sight. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm going to be driven by faith. I'm going to identify with Christ. What's my attitude towards authority? Be honest. What's your attitude towards authority? For some of you, you can look back and you go, every time I rub up against authority, I struggle. I've always got it figured out better than my authority. No one can ever speak into my life. Close friends, they try to. Godly men, godly women, my parents, you, you list it out. Every time you come up against authority, you have the same response as Samson. Tonight's the night to change. That's going to ruin great men. That's going to ruin great, great women. God blesses humility. Amen? Let's examine our attitude towards authority. And then have I confused God's blessing with God's approval? I believe Samson did that in this text. God's spirit was coming upon him and he must have thought everything's fine with God. I can continue in this path of sin. And then finally, the last thing to consider, do I know that God will not be mocked 
God will not be mocked. See, the New Testament puts it this way. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. It's a law of physical nature, isn't it? You sow corn seed, you're going to get corn. You sow tomato seed, you're going to get tomato plants. But if you sow in this area of sin, guess what? You're going to get the consequences of sin. It's going to come. It may come later than you thought. It may come sooner than you thought. But it will come. We will have those consequences be dealt upon us. And tonight's the night for us to say, okay, if I am in this path, to repent and get right with the Lord and then allow good fruit to come in our lives as we're sowing good seed. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure we've all experienced it. Some real Samsons have some real heartaches. We see potential written all over them. God's using them. God that set them apart from the very beginning, but when they walk away from that, for what? For lust. For what? Some honey. I wanted some honey, so I'm going to walk away from from God's call. How sad and how tragic. We're going to prepare for communion, and if I could ask the guys to prepare to, to serve us tonight. One of the things that we've been praying as a church is this, that Jesus Christ would be magnified, that we would have a greater revelation of Jesus. And one of the ways that that happens is in communion. One of the ways is as we take time as a fellowship to remember his, his broken body. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I think there's a greater motivation than Samson when it comes to not sinning. And you know what it is? It's Jesus and his broken body. And when we look at who Jesus is, that Jesus died for us and he rose again, Because a lot of times I think we don't intend to sin. We don't want to sin. We don't want to be in that place. But we do those things that we don't want to do. Is focus on Jesus. Focus on his broken body. His shed blood. And cry out to him and say, Jesus, would you deliver me from this body of death? So let's pray and just calm our hearts. Father.